Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2 Play. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidge, which will review last night's AEW Dynamite. And Sidge, the power's back. Power's back. <laughs> this was not a perfect all-timer dynamite in and of itself, but it gave me a glimpse of that future really coming back. Um, hit the trifecta. Promos, angles, and match quality. It wasn't an across-the-board success. There was some stuff that I had some problems with, in truth, but the very good stuff on this show, and more importantly, what it promised going forward, uh, I've got the feeling. I have got the feeling that some seminal times are ahead. Yeah, I get that. You know, the, Watching the show last night, the crowd, I think elements of this show under-delivered. I think there was some high expectations set by the that graphic of the card and what was set for this. And in some respects, some of this under-delivered. But I thought the crowd were a really good um, indicator of where AEW's at right now. There were points where they were flat. And despite it being in a new building in Winnipeg, there was that feeling of it being a touch smaller feeling than it should be. But when they came up mm. and when they were electric, Jesus Christ, that was like hottest wrestling on the planet stuff. And it was certainly for more than one wrestler or more than one angle. It wasn't just that feeling. And, you know, this is a WWE criticism that you get. It's like, right, the fans are coming up for the big angles at the moment. It's WrestleMania season and the big stuff is hitting. But what about everything else? The drop-off is, is too big, jarringly so. Mm. It, it wasn't that. There was loads on the show that people were definitely invested in. And it just... It felt like the natural progression from this run of bang average dynamites and the, the poor revolution builders. Like, you don't just get it. But the power mm. doesn't come back overnight. The power is back is funny to say about WWE because you get one good raw. It's like the power's back. And you're only a week away from a terrible raw. It, it, like, a terrible raw. So the power's never back, right? But it can come back in AW. But because it's a better show, root and branch, it has to come back in stages. And that was what felt like was happening on this dynamite to me. Before we get into it, one more thing. The two things Hamlet alluded to there that promised the world 
I didn't quite get what I wanted from them. But the third thing that wasn't advertised, that you couldn't advertise, was just was electrifying. Mm. And we'll get to it. That's what gave me the feeling. And it disrupts the pattern because you look at these dynamites and you look, what's going to over-deliver or under-deliver or deliver as advertised? And then you just get the show. And it's usually as you would expect. There was something unexpected here at the mm. end that made me think, yeah, the power's back. Yeah, the, the, the real best story in wrestling is back. <laughs> the uh, the crowd were flat at points. They certainly weren't flat for that main event, but Michael Sidgwick certainly looked flat during that main <laughs> event. But we'll get to that yeah. one later. Uh, the show opens, there's balloons in the ring, and you're like, oh, it's starting with MJF's rebar mitzvah celebration. Out comes the AW World Champion with some ladies, and he gives one of them a little bit of a smooch. <laughs> The ring streamers go off, and he immediately gets in there and goes, "Hello, Canada. Sean's better than Brett." <laughs> Instant heat, obviously. Um, I'm not going to go verbatim here, probably because I don't really want to be clipped off and you know destroyed on social media. He talked about being a part of the only religion that matters, basically, uh, and talked about his original bar mitzvah where he lost his V card. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he said, oh, "I'm doing it again now." Um, because this time I've just beaten Brian Danielson. Time to do it on the big stage because I am Iron Man. <laughs> and Taz had some nice lines in there. And then I've written it down. I've realized I've forgotten to write down how you pronounce it. Hava Nagila. I, I, I've got no idea. The song plays. They come out with the chair and they hoist him off. And Taz sings along. <laughs> uh, and then the interruption the first of several interruptions comes with Jungle Boy Jack Perry coming out. Great react Because you and I were concerned on the preview that it was going to be like, oh, you're ruining it. I think the Baltimore effect mm. went massively in his favor. And it was only till he delivered one killer line in the promo that I really thought he got the crowd back, if mm. I'm being honest. So, yeah, Jungle Boy Jack Perry comes out and he says maybe half a word. Then Sammy Guevara comes out. You know where this is going. Uh, and then out comes the fourth pillar of AEW. Darby Allen. Did you uh, spot anything here? Either of you? Oh. Furry Burberry hat. Just thought it was a nice present to get him. Didn't want to say it on yesterday's podcast, but you're welcome, Maxwell. Jesus Christ. Um, anyway, he says, you What's that smell? You desperation. <laughs> uh, MGF, like, you're bloody ruining this. What do you want? And then together they all say they want a title match. Um, and Jack Perry talks about wrestling MJF at the first pandemic pay-per-view. <laughs> I'm like, don't take me back there mentally, please. <laughs> but yeah, the double or nothing like the match. kind of kicked out. So. <laughs> where MJF cheated mm, to win, um, and he talks about the fact that he's gone back, and he went back to wrestling on the likes of Dark and Elevation, and even Rampage, where MJF doesn't, doesn't do any of those things. He just does whatever he wants, comes, comes out and does the same hokey BS, which subsequently got a chant, um, whilst others bust their ass to get just 60 seconds of TV time. Uh, and MJF says, unlike all the guys in the back, I'm a star, and that's why the company revolves around me. Sorry, one second. It's bloody working. Oh, wrong way. Jesus. And I mean, <laughs> folks, where's the lie? Uh, Did you see his post about Orange Cassidy? No. I'll read it verbatim. Carry on. Okay. Uh, Sammy tells MJF to shut up before he turns this rebar mitzvah into a re-circumcision. Um, he talk- Did you get that? I, I mean, I didn't. Was in, uh, just in him getting it 
No, they went for another bit of it down there. I was going to say. I didn't, I didn't get that bit lopped off. I was going to do the subtext. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I genuinely thought you were asking him then. Like, do you have that? Why are you down there, Doc? Yeah, just <laughs> clean it up a bit. Uh, he talked about spending all this time on the Indies. Ten South years. Park said they make it look bigger. <laughs> Ten years on the Indies to get here. Uh, whilst MBO just lied and talked his way into it. Um, and then when Sammy got there, he was only supposed to be the inner circle's job guy, the bump guy for Jericho. But he overcame it all and became champion three times. Um, he says, I'm not like you. I, mean, I never had the machine, never needed it. I got here. Uh, sorry, I got myself here, and I'm going to get myself that title. Calls all the crowd dumbasses, and then says he's going to be world champion, and you know it. Um, and MGF's like, well, Sammy, thanks for taking some time away from the locker room scuffles in the back, which I thought was a nice yeah. line. Um, so Darby next, uh, and he talked about being in fil film school all the way back in 2013, and he turned in a project, and they said, you're going to have to change the entire film if you want to, you know, have this as your actual project. Sounds like a good professor. So he's... <laughs> so somebody that was good at their job, it would seem. So he said, I abolished this, I'm dropping out. <gasps> and it gave him the balls to do something he never thought possible, and that's become a pro wrestler. Um, and he's just about to walk into his first day at the uh, Wrestling Academy, and he uh, said, whatever happens, he's going to make or fail it, fail as Darby Allen, not going to change a single thing. Um, he says, maybe I'm the worst businessman because there's never going to be a bidding war for me because AW gives me something no amount of money can afford, can give me, uh, and that's the chance to be myself. Um, the, biggest the biggest problem this company has is grown-ass wrestlers in the back going on Twitter saying, ooh, I'm not happy, I want out. Yes! <laughs> including you. So cathartic. <laughs> including you, MJF. Oh, bidding war of 2024. Uh, AW means more to him than it ever did to uh, MJF. That's why he should be champion. And if he doesn't get to the match, he's going to complain about it on Twitter. No, he is going to beat MGF's head in with a skateboard and give him a headlock takeover. There's already so many spots in this goddamn match. <laughs> yeah. Um, MGF's fired up now, removes his glasses and my hat. And uh, Darby says, didn't look very good. That's the way I'll say it. Mm. Um, and MGF's just, just, he wants, he's lashing out at people now. And he's like, well, Sammy. Uh, you're going to be proposing to a new girl in seven months. And I was like, didn't your fiancé need to leave you? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> so he fires back and he's like, you know, you had Christian, you had Jericho, you had Sting. I've got nobody because uh, I'm like you three talentless hacks. I don't need to be enro enrolled in AW Daddy Daycare. I'm the only pillar that can keep this place up. I've beaten every single one of you in singles competition. Why do you even deserve a chance? You don't even deserve to sniff the triple B. Um, you need to leave this party because I'm going to go and eat my cake because I deserve it. And he goes to Sammy, thank you, to Darby, screw you, and to Jungle Boy, bye. And he pie faces JB. A big brawl breaks out between all of them. Um, and eventually, MGF gets bumped into the cake, of course. As I always say, there is a good and bad version of everything except for the invisible camera and impromptu match. <laughs> or the standby match. Yeah, yeah, that was so that great. So promo trains largely are bad, very contrived. This was contrived with the I want a title shot in unison. There was obviously an element of scripting here that you kind of, well, they didn't have to do it, but they did it here to, to, to reach that point. This was a good, if flawed, very good, if flawed promo train. I did the business, got the reactions, built this match like in one segment that I really want to see, that I'm being a nerd and fantasy booking spots for in my head. 
Um, I've got like a layout that I think would be a good idea, but maybe I'll do that nearer the time mm. as a little retention hook. Mm. Um, one has more than one floor, but I thought overall this was really great and probably great given what the trope is. One, I wanted more bar mitts for fun. I wanted more bar mitts for fun, and I was resentful of Jungle Boy when he came out. Yes, Baltimore got over, but it gets over. I think they should have had Sammy be the first one to interrupt because he's the heel. Yeah. He should have had the heat for interrupting it. Um, they shouldn't have sort of siphoned that to Jungle Boy. So I thought the sequencing was a bit off. But then Jungle Boy got the crowd back with that hokey bull line. The way I put it in whatculture.com slash WWE, ups and downs, go and read it when the website's fixed, <laughs> is that they had their sports entertainment cake and ate pro wrestling. Like They had the set design, the big sort of graphic, the, the hook um, that you follow to go into the wrestling program. But they made it all about wrestling, all about competition, all about win-loss records, all about claims to championships. The opposite of every NXT angle. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I... I'm split on whether Guevara went to Insider because I saw a lot of that online. I think I might have said it was to Insider in the article I wrote, but I might have changed my mind since then. <laughs> How many times have I, you, everyone heard someone break kayfabe or talk about wrestling as a predetermined thing? More times than I could ever recount in my entire life mm. if I had a million years left of it on this earth. And yet, if the story's good, if the talent is there, when the bell rings, I will immediately, boom, suspend my disbelief and just watch. It doesn't matter how many times people say, oh, it's predetermined, all of this. I just think I'm years and years past clutching my pearls. Obviously, you don't want to go full Russo 2000. You would ne That's stupid. But every now and then doesn't detract from my immersion. It just doesn't, so I can't pretend to care about it. This was a high-wire act of doing a WWE segment well and insider stuff, and there was just lots to get wrong here, and I thought they got it mostly right. And I think it all hinged on Darby Allen. Where did this come from? Yeah, I thought he, this. He plays this sullen, like, really cool character, but he seems emotionally withdrawn a lot of the time. Um, he seems to do it not to compete for titles, but to just feel alive or whatever. This was awesome. Like His best promo by a country mile. His fire was unbelievable. His comedic timing especially was great. Like I don't think I would ever look at Darby Allen and say, you know what this guy would be really good at? Welcoming you all to Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Monday Night Raw with some zingers. And he looked the part here. He looked the part of a main event champion. I've loved Darby Allen's arc. I think he is still the most underrated wrestler in the entire industry. Have I ever seriously thought of him as a champion? Maybe not. I did after this. And that's an absolutely unbelievable asset that MJF has. He's such a great heel champion that he did it with Ricky Starks, did it with Danielson, and now with Darby Allen. You want to look at the babyface in a program with the heel champion and think, I want him to win it. And he's done it three times out of three already. That line about when MGF, who masterfully didn't take off the sunglasses until he had to to set up this line. And he looked like shit. Great line, well delivered. 
so cathartic. Let's face it, I think he was talking about Dax Harwood. Incredibly cathartic. <laughs> and he just, that line as well about, I'm a terrible businessman because I just want to be here and I want to represent this company. That babyface stuff, absolutely fantastic. So as much as they did some stuff around not burying the company, they just, for me, they never stepped over the line of burying the company outright. Mm. They just said it's an incredibly fierce meritocracy. That's what this is. And you've sidestepped it. Not Booking's terrible and I've been held back. I didn't get any of those vibes at all, if I'm being honest. And if they're, and if it did tiptoe into that territory, Darby Allen just smashed it back with a low pay because that line about <laughs> I'm a terrible businessman because I want to embody this promotion and I don't care how much money is flung my way by other ones. I thought this was so good, if a little bit flawed. Yeah, I mostly concur with all of that. I'll tell you what I've been right all along about Darby Allen's media studies projects dressed as <laughs> mini-movies. I'll tell you why I've been right all along, right? So all of the, hang on, I'll tell you why. Because all, all of those profile is gimmick. This was character development, and there's a big difference between mm. those two things. Like, those little things, he likes them, and what you are able to kind of, like, infer is that he is in a place, as he pointed out here, where he can be himself. And part of himself is this black and white nonsense on a weekend with Sting or whatever. But what that sets up is a party match. There's nothing inherently wrong in a party match, but what's the purpose of a party match is to give fans a party, not to be have this like meaningful impact at the top of the card. As opposed to this, which was some character development where he kind of like drew in what those videos are representative of rather than the soundtracking and the stylistic choices that he makes. What's it all about? Like, what is Darby Allen's motivation and his reason for being in AEW? This was character development, and, like, it was way more straight-laced pro-wrestling promo delivery than the stuff he would typically do. And shock horror, it suddenly positions him as a bona fide number one contender instead of a guy that is, like, a bit of a nearly-but-not-quite guy or the guy that just sits and lives in the semi-main party match, which again, like I say, everyone's got a purpose on a wrestling show, and that's a really good one to have. Mm. But there's always that gut feeling, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that Darby Allen is worth more. And here was that reminder that he is worth more, and can get it too. And it was really, like, cathartic for a different reason to Sidgwick's about the point about the, I agree as well, the, the thing about ranting on Twitter, but this was cathartic for a different reason. It was like, God, about time. This is that, like, sometimes with Darby Allen and others, but especially with him, because he's a lifer in this company, there is that, like, but get off the pot mm. with a lot of wrestlers, and, like, finally, he was taking a shit, and it was on MJF's head. <laughs> and it was fantastic to see. Really, really mm. genuinely, like, you could, like, roar with energy at, like, somebody that you've wanted from the very beginning, from surviving Cody Rhodes or getting drilled into the map by John Moxley, of, like, not just kicking out, but kicking out and then fighting back all the way at the top. Instead of hitting this electrifying party match ceiling, he's just burst through it, and it was just really, really thrilling to watch. And I love that that happened for him here because this was a good promo, but this told me, like, that MJF's right. The Pillars is a real thing, and I like it, and it's cute with an AEW law. But this showed me a television main event of a four-way and a singles pay-per-view match with a Darby Allen. And Jungle Boy's Day will come. Sammy Guevara's might. I don't know. But like, I don't think so. I don't think so either, truthfully. But, like, maybe they want it. I'm not sure about Jungle Boy, to be honest. I'm not either. But I saw Darby Allen as a singles match, and I mm. saw this four-way as the TV match. And that does undermine the pillars thing a little bit, but do it in that way. You're showing me the right version of it. And just on a wider point about MJF, because Sidgwick's nailed it all, but I completely agree about the, the, the bar mitzvah element felt underwritten, if anything. 
um, Jeff tweeted yesterday, the only birthday present I want is Jeff Jarrett to win the title. Well, same. But also, I almost think he saw his creative and thought, ah, getting a little bit less than maybe what those amazing graphics would have promised. Mm. So I'll already, like, downplay that a touch. However, Reign of Terror has existed from the very beginning. This was an incredibly entertaining 20-minute show opening program. Yep. Something that Triple H was never capable of. Never so once. Every single time they do that little Reign of Terror gag, it delivers in spades, and this did here. One more thing, in case I forget to make this point at the end of the show, because it applies to the ending and the beginning, a weekly episodic TV product in wrestling that never stops has no right to have this. I don't. I know it's lame to say it on Twitter, and it's a meme, and you're a cringeworthy nerd for saying it. I don't care. It's got no right to feel like a series with this incredible attention to continuity as it did between this pillar stuff in the opening and the elite saga at the end. It has no right to do this over the span of four years on American, North American TV. Four years in the making. What was Roman Reigns doing in 2019? He was losing to Shane McMahon. He was falling for Eric Beard, Eric Redbeard's doppelganger, who just happened to be there, right? Ridiculous. What were the Usos doing in 2019? I dare you to remember. Other than, because uh, I was reminded of it today, that incredible sacrificing of the spot in the gauntlet for Kofi yes. Mania. Like, a seminal piece of, like, WWE television, all things considered. They were just kind of lucky to be getting on the WrestleMania card in a four-way, fatal four-way tag title defense. What was Sami Zayn doing in 2019? Falling over on the roar after WrestleMania for his comeback. I only remember... <laughs> Slipping on the right, like, as a shoot slip. I only remember the electric chair yeah. segment where it's like, you can even ask me about AEW. <gasps> now else will I remember from that? Um, I think he might have... They're certainly not tied. They're not tethered to things. Like, when, you know, when the, the, the big thread recently on the bloodline, like, I was a bit critical of it because I was like, it starts when Sami Zayn joins. It starts as a mean, in a meaningful way. Jey Uso's trajectory especially starts when Sami Zayn joins. But I completely understand why people want to tether it to um, Clash of Champions 2020 because they want to forget what? that Jey Uso, uh, Uso was just a goon for a bit. They want to forget that yeah. because they want to believe what we're talking about now, which is that mm. like something that happened in 2020 when Roman forces Jey on board yeah. still matters today. It does, but that's fortuitous. Just, that's I'm that's just not good. Trying to make the point that there are levels to long-term storytelling, yeah. and given the some of it in very good faith discourse surrounding the build to Revolution 2023, let's not lose sight of what the real masters of this stuff have been doing for a longer time. Um, Chris Jericho is honoured with Chris Jericho Way on his childhood street in Manitoba by the Winnipeg government, which I thought was was pretty cool, to be perfectly honest. Pretty cool for him and very good of AEW to put this on the programme. and Yeah. Making your guy who loses a lot in very corny ways, but making him feel like a living legend institution, I thought was effective promotion. Mm. Uh, and then it was time for the Blackpool Combat Club versus Hangman Page and the Dark Order, represented by Evil Uno and a returning Stu Grayson. Great to see him back. Uh, he got a great reaction, obviously, being in Canada. Um, and Uno gets into it with uh, with Wheeler Utah. Um At one point, <laughs> uh, Utah's you know, the, the Blackpool Combat Club stop kicking ass. Uh, you would trust trash talk. So he 
just gets wrecked because Grayson then gets the hot tag and absolutely runs wild. Meteora spinning DDT on Castagnoli, twisting Moonsault for two. Uh, Utah low bridges Grayson outside and Castagnoli hits him with uppercuts and then they do a triple spike pile driver to kill Stu Grayson before we go to a break. Uh, it's got to well, be the most insane as dynamite rolls on yeah. spot ever, isn't it? Is like he dead? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we come back. Uh, Moxley gets hit with the pump knee and Grayson finally makes the tag to Hangman Page who first occasion that he's in runs wild fall away slam to Yuta kip up dive onto Claudio um, Uno makes a blind tag as uh, Page hits a pop up power bomb on Yuta Uno, Uno hits a sent on Atomico Moxley and Page finally go face to face and start slugging it out Moxley takes the ref though uh, and Yuta clocks Page with the ring bell uh, Uno and Grayson realise Oh no, kind of the best person on this team's down and the numbers are against us and it's the Blackpool Combat Club. So they just try and desperately brawl their way out of this as fast as possible. Uh, but you a chop blocks Uno's leg. Story from previous weeks, of course. Um, Grayson still puts up a fair fight, to be honest. Um, he, at one point, looks like he's going to... He's in the corner. Uta, was it? Uta. Oh Uta's in the corner. And, uh, oh my God. He goes to, well, I thought he was going to do something there, and he just dives over the ring post onto Castagnoli, um, and they hit a paradigm shift, I think, by Uno on, on Moxley, uh, and a double-team fatality on him, but Uta dives in at the last second to break up the pinfall. Grayson um, gets a pop-up, a roll-up on Claudio. Uno gets taken out by Uta, uh, and Grayson, sorry, that's it now. Pop up, up a cut by Claudio into the rear naked choke by Moxley to win it. Um, he transitions into bulldog choke, doesn't let it go uh, until Uno tries to make the save afterwards to be like, stop choking him out. Um, and the Blackpool Combat Club beat the crap out of them until Silver and Reynolds make, the, uh, make their uh, save and they chase off the Blackpool Combat Club who bail into the crowd. I think I like this more than the main event. <laughs> Genuinely, I thought this was such an incredible piece of work. Like, so well plotted, so well thought out. Um, I just thought this was the business. The crowd is going mental for it at the exact right points. I thought the level of thought that went into it. I made the point yesterday on the NXT review, okay, um, that the way that NXT matches in particular, but a lot of WWE matches... They just evaporate that almost the second that I've watched them. There's just something about the formula, how they're kind of indistinguishable from one another most of the time. I just struggle to remember a WWE match because there's not a lot of thought that goes into it a lot of the time. This is just completely different. To tell the story of, right, we want to get Stu Grace and some shine. He's a sentimental hero. And in doing so, when he's the one who takes the fall, it'll make the Blackpool Combat Club look um, stronger for putting away this guy who's at his most spirited. How do we go about this? Um, right, okay. Well, we can set up loads of different spots, like badass last stand moments. And what I loved about this was they've been a little bit ill-disciplined, undisciplined, I think, with, like, shots and the like, where I can no longer take it seriously if someone gets hit with a Golden Globe, apart from the Jarrett match later. Um, like, belt shots and stuff, it's always, it's like a trope now in AEW, and I wish they wouldn't do that, because here, it just meant so much more. When Yuta smashes Paige in the face with the ring bell, it's like, boom, he's out. Of course he is. He's just pretty much been knocked out cold. 
what I loved about this was, right, okay, it gets Grayson and Uno, like this unspoken pact of, let's go out swinging. Let's just go out. We're going to lose, but let's just go out and fight as hard as we can, like men. In the contrast with the Blackpool Combat Club, who realized they aren't really the hard men that they thought they were, and they decided to be really like bad, sore, nasty, bitter losers about it, and have turned heel. And I just love the character contrast there. So to build this grace and comeback and to make it electrifying, that bit that you pointed out where they arranged the sequence so that you are slouched by the bottom turnbuckle, so you think basement drop kick or cannonball, and they misdirect you with that incredible propulsive like leap over the top turnbuckle to take out Claudio. That was a fantastic spot, and it gets even better. Because if you consider, right, last month, I think, a week and a half before Revolution, you have this match between Evil Uno and John Moxley. And it over-delivers. It's still not Dynamite main event worthy, but it over-delivers. But going into it, you think, there is not a hope in goddamn hell of Evil Uno ever winning. This match was so well-constructed, that with the fatality on the mox, you thought, well, Evil Uno's got it won. <laughs> to go from that to there can only be considered an absolute triumph of storytelling. Like, this is unbelievably great for me. I love this match. Yeah, I really appreciated like this from the point of view of the kayfabe and the fiction. So the match, as Cedric has alluded to there, was like... An over deliver as good as like it stood to be with the people involved. That's not to neg the six. Best version of itself this yeah, match. It was like an over delivery on those terms, I would say. And I really appreciate it by the end of the show. There's obviously some incredible talent in this show. Yeah, room. that's it. I feel bad calling it an over delivery, but mm. you know what I mean? Especially go- knowing that it was going on in the middle the of the best version of itself, this. Underneath a like a more hyped trios match featuring trios that at the moment are on the sort of form in the case of the House of Black and the Elite, that you kind of just expect to have like another like it's like more melts a bit, like more five-star potential stuff in that main event. I think I agree with Sage. I think I just felt a little bit more for this in the end. And I loved how I got a lot of the old AW here, actually, because I loved how by the end of the show, I was so glad that these two matches happened on the same show and how one folded into the other in the way yeah. that maybe I wouldn't have thought about as much, like considering who's... That's a dub. Yeah. That's a dub the powers back. Several weeks ago... If you're going to have these two trios matches on one night, one was going to be for Dynamite and one was going to be for Rampage, and a video package would have taped them together instead of getting what we got. So Kenny Omega does, and uh, well now he's finally finished with the AJ Blake, yeah, mm. like get them onto something else. But like it's that feeling was definitely, definitely back through the course of these two matches, and obviously how they overlapped. But as well, the quality of the work was like just dazzling me in the match, and mm. then as soon as it finished, I was left with this really warm feeling of oh man. Like, six people have got together and have tried to do whatever the hell they can to brother somebody they obviously like in Stu Grayson back into full-time work, and he has, like, delivered yeah. his end of the deal as well. And I love that about res- about wrestling because it should be cooperative for the should be cooperative for our benefit as fans, but, of course, when wrestlers can help each other out and elevate one another, like, all the better. That's how this can mm. work in perfect collaboration. And I just feel like this was a, uh, just a fine example of both. Like, Hangman Page takes the bell the bell shot for the benefit of that awesome finishing sequence in which the Blackpool Combat Club can win with a three-on-two advantage. But he's Hangman friggin' Page, and not every top-line star would go for that. Mm. We're like, I'm just going to be a spare part, am I? Like, yeah, it's all right. You're going to get heat back in the brawl at the end of the night. Aye, but, like, I should kind of be in the ring, shouldn't I, making the save, whatever. It's like, no, no, we want you out on your ass for this to work. And he did it, and it's just, there's, like, a lot of selflessness, and I just think a lot of things to admire about all of this. The Blackpool Combat Club begging off in a way that feels 
believable and organic rather than just your baddies now. Like we were talking in the office today, Sidge, about Austin tapping out the night after WrestleMania 17. Yeah. And it's like, I get it, but oh, that's jarring. Mm. Like you, you turned heel 24 hours ago. Like this was a more effective heel turn than last week's heel turn. That's gone now. That has, this match has washed away that damp squib of a BCC heel turn because this was the, this was the cause and effect. You were watching them as villains versus last week, the kind of thing telling you, boo these men. This was to- worlds apart from, th- from that. So just effective on multiple levels, this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We get a pre-recorded promo. Yeah. Sorry, sorry Wilborn. It's all right. We get a pre-recorded promo from uh, Juice Robinson talking about why he attacked Ricky Starks last week and said he would, uh, ain't going to do a damn thing about his injured neck, basically. A response from Stocks on this later. I'll talk about it when I talk about Stocks. And it's time for Jay Gargle's uh, Canadian Open Challenge. Uh, she comes out and hit, already in the ring is Nicole Matthews, uh, a 17 year veteran um, who lost in about 30 seconds. Sorry, Nicole. Uh, pump kick jaded. One, two, three. Jay Cargill goes to 54 and 0, I believe. Uh, Renee Paquette goes to interview Cargill. Uh, about wanting Canada's best. And Cargill tries to start on her. That was nearly the match that I called here. <laughs> um, saying, it you... was great, if I forget. Yeah. Aren't you from Canada? Um, but who should come out then? But Tyre Valkyrie, who uh, G's up the crowd and gets in the face of Jay Cargill. Uh, and Jay Cargill doesn't really want any of this right now. She goes to leave. Uh, Layla Gray tries to do something to, to Valkyrie. And she gets hit by a jaded from, uh, from Tyre. And um, what did you make of all this? I would have enjoyed it so much more had it just been some regional Winnipeg enhancement talent and not Nicole Matthews. Um, I just thought that was wildly misjudged because the, it's not as if everyone in that arena knew who Nicole Matthews was. So you might as well have just got someone else for the role who's good enough to take a jaded. That's It was just weird because... like. The people who knew who she was 
were always just going to hate this and feel a bit bummed out mm. by it. But if it was anybody else in that role, I thought this would have been a really strong segment, and I'll tell you why. I have had... Pro- it wasn't blow away great, but I thought it was more than serviceable for what they were trying to accomplish here. What Jade has been crying out for, what the fans have been crying out for, is a match where it's not a completely boring formality mm. that Jade's just going to win. So with the old Paul Heyman trick, they introduced Ty Valkyrie, who I thought was fun enough from a character perspective in NXT, but when she hit the ring, oh boy. But she didn't really do anything here in the ring, so she got got worked into thinking she might be entertaining again. She carried herself like a star. She had the attitude to square up to Jade, and I just thought her hitting the jaded here was such a nice, resourceful choice of an angle because for once, literally the first time in this title reign, with the exception of Athena, you're looking at someone who through a very on-the-nose way mm-hmm. by doing her finish has presented herself as an equal to Jade Cargill. And I've given up on this on whatculture.com slash WWE where you can read the ups and downs <laughs> articles eventually because they created, through the language of pro wrestling, a bit of parity between Jade Cargill and somebody mm-hmm. at last. Um, and I thought she carried herself like a star here. Valkyrie, I thought she looked the business. I don't think the match is going to be very good. And she's all elite now. But I'm interested in seeing it, you know. It's one of those, ah, I didn't think I wanted this, but I kind of do. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I wasn't as convinced by Valkyrie here, if I'm honest. There's that old, I, I, I forget who it was that said it, but there was. it's one of those little like old wrestler things that's always stuck with me about how, like, no matter where you've worked before, you know when wrestlers do the, uh, like, clap, clap, stomp, or the come on, or whatever, you can't ask for it before you've given people a reason to give you it. And she came out on the ramp doing it straight away and before, like, she'd hit a move or anything like that. And I know that, like, wrestling's an open world and Ty Valkyrie's got, like, a legendary knockouts run and people know her and know of her work and things like that. But she'd done nothing for AEW fans in that mm. moment. And coming out and, like, immediately begging for the support felt a little... Especially because it's, like, the whole thing was framed around, like there's going to be a Canadian that's going to give Jade Cargill a run from her money, then it doesn't happen in the match, but it's not a bait and switch because we've actually got mm. it here. I kind of thought like, ah, oh, you don't need to be that. You're going to have to rely on yourself here. You're going to have to bet on yourself rather than like begging for it a bit because I like the angle. I like the idea that I can do Jaded better than you can because it's my finisher too. So if you try it on me, I'll just counter it and then I'll hit you with mine and mine's more hard hitting and I'm not, I don't fear the streak because I've got your weapon and I've got it better. Mm. And it's been kind of inexcusable that, Jade Cargill's not been given a story just because they were sitting around waiting for Chris Statlander. Just be creative and think of something. And they haven't. And it's been like, it's been a probably, it's been damaging to the Jade Cargill character to the point where the Statlander match won't hit as hard because that's. She used to be a draw. That's, yeah, that streak just does not resonate in the way that it used to. Like 54 should mean something, doesn't because who can really remember more than five of those matches? Mm. You know, it's like five and other things you liked and 49 of stat padding but we've had to do a lot of the stat padding out front rather than on dark and dark elevation. It's not it's not where it should be for a, a big streak and the Statlander match will be whatever. But I this was I think I'm not I'm undecided on the Nicole Matthews element of it because I think she was in one sense being action andretted was unfair on her but I did quite like the ah the Canadian was just a squash after all. No it wasn't. So it kind of like did a bad thing to do a good thing. Mm. Maybe. I'll tell you one thing I didn't like about this remotely as well. Um, if a male wrestler 
who had the sort of shimmer royalty cult legend in a pretty niche subsection of the indie world, right? If if a male wrestler had that cachet, that sort of buzz, that respect, and they appeared on Dynamite, absolutely no chance in hell are they getting murdered in 40 oh. seconds. It's just not happening. Tony Khan's going in the Ring of Honor archives to show a video of how this was actually a feud in 2004. This rematch you're getting on Dynamite, these wrestlers have got history. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. He loves that. Yeah. Like that, like... If, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. It's hard because it's so weighted against female talent. But like um, someone who's been in exile for like I tell you what, years. it's not I, even... You know what? Sorry. What? Nicole Matthews spent five years in exile um, from the US indie circuit because of a visa bit of chicanery. Okay? You know who else did? Speedball Mike Bailey. Yep. Yeah. Right. For whatever reason, I'm actually astonished that he hasn't used him yet, Tony Khan. Yeah. If Speedball Mike Bailey was, I don't know, MJS feuding with Kenny Omega, and he's doing a gauntlet in this theoretical example, and he says, I've got a surprise for you next week, Kenny. This is someone who um, almost had your number in PWG. And trust me, Kenny, this man has spent five years in exile thinking of nothing else but how to actually unlock the puzzle that is you. This man is speedball Mike Bailey. Get Excalibur to get clipped from the PWG match in the Mia Falls. Think about how close he came to beating you. And it's been five years and he spent the entire time working on that plan. Does he get beaten 40 friggin' seconds? No, because he's a bloke. Yeah, I was, my example doesn't even have the legacy of Nicole Matthews, just the buzz that, like, oh, Twitter is hot this week for, like, Warhorse wasn't even squashed by Cody Rhodes. No. And all he had was buzz, really, and Cody, mm. like, gave him a gave him a fight, didn't he? Like, Commander a, got loads of action in the yeah. face of the Revolution ladder match. Not on. Yet another example of Tony Khan showing his arse when it comes to women's wrestling. No ladies' night this week, though, of course. You Not went here, so it wasn't fair. Yeah, so shut up. It's time to play the game! Time to play the game! Ha ha ha! It's a... It's a Could have been a... Uh, an enforcer type. Enjoy the week off, Adam Blair and Jose Palomares. Yes. Back next week. <laughs> uh, Tony Schiavone's backstage with Ricky Starks, who said it was relevant to me and Bill Bullet Club in 2015. It's 2023 now. Um, and he says, if you've got a Stark, uh, if you've got an issue with me, Robinson, even, uh, we can do it anytime, place." This for me, right? And I was debating internally whether to use this word. Because it's, pr- it's a pretty... Uh, uh, this, this word I might... This word I'm dancing around... It's kind of the worst thing you can say about a professional wrestler. And this almost felt unprofessional to me. He looked put out at the idea of building a match with Juice Robinson. He had boo-boo face for a mini feud he's guaranteed to win. It's as if he's been told, oh, you, you know, you're losing your big match. Did he look put out to you when he delivered this promo? He looked bored shitless at the prospect of doing the match it looked like it was beneath him 
and it probably is, mm -hmm. but you kind of don't do that on TV. Unprofessional's way too harsh, but I think he couldn't hide the idea that he had to do this because it was so beneath him. I'll tell you what, right, I'm not going to just pick on him. John Moxley kind of did this with the MGF. He didn't believe in that mystery, red herring-filled angle mm. um, ahead of full gear last year. So I'm not saying that Ricky Starks is the only person to have done this in AEW, but he looked put out by the idea of doing this. That was just my inference, but my God, he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere else. I think post-Chris Jericho, Ricky Starks is on fraud watch for me. Like, it, this program has not helped. Shock. But, like, the, the one thing he's supposed to learn off Chris Jericho is the one thing Chris Jericho still does, even when it makes no sense in his character, which is he does always put somebody over before he buries them. Like, that's a very, very Jericho thing. Before he uh, cannibalizes them. Yeah. Aye. That's like, the word. Yeah. He, he still does do that thing. You may be this, but I'm this. Like, it's a Jericho trademark and a staple. And for that thing to be so obviously missing here, on a feud which, like, everybody else has buried... But, like, you can't really join them in burying it too. I understand if Ricky Starks has got some, again, this is all our projection, I suppose, but if he's got some frustrations with this and his in-character response to that is this. I, like, I can, get, I can get there from a narrative point mm -hmm. of view, but this is just... It doesn't make, more, this make is just, you want to see the match yeah, at all. This is just not and, how and you I do it. Did not want to see it in the first place. And I think, like, is there a... Is there a was this, a, again... Last week, I took all sorts of grief for being like, Juice Robinson's a step down, no offense to Juice Robinson. And then I was told, yeah, but come on, let it play out. You're going to really enjoy this three-star match. But, <laughs> like, I'm not thick. Like, I know that this is coming, and I know there is more Bullet Club to come, right? But did he even seem that enthused about Bullet Club? Well, coming up on Forbidden Door, so theoretically, yeah, like, this is Ricky Starks, and like, I know it's Bullet Club. I know it's this mutated version of Bullet Club at this point that just are not what they used to be. Bullet Club Silver. Aye, most definitely. But like like the B in Bullet Club is not for Bullet, it's just for B team. But is this not like his big thing for Forbidden Door? Like working an angle, having to find partners. Young Bucks and ELP's bit last year was a bit of fun. I enjoyed that on the night. Like who's to say that it won't come good on the night? The this um graphic and the music popped the building last week. Yeah. So we can all think, aye, they're finished in New Japan. Dave Finley, are you freaking kidding? But like, Dave Finley's really good. Well, but do you know what I mean? In terms of like, oh. I know, I know. Go, it's, gone off J.Y. It's, like it's, it's not like 2016 Styles to Omega. Aye, that's it. Like, face it. It does present something for Forbidden Door, and Starks doesn't seem to fancy that either. Just, Certainly not in a way that he wanted to put it over. Maybe the idea is, I don't fancy it. Like, a lot of Bullet Club come to Dynamite, chin him, mm. gang beat down. It's like, well, I have to care now. Even so, he just... I know there's no hint towards that direction. There was three options you could have went with here. One, sell it as something it isn't. Undermine his credibility, but do the honorable thing. Two, say, you suck. You've been terrible. What do you think? With a bit of like sass, with a bit of rock-esque mm. sass. At least when The Rock had Billy Gunn in 1999, he wasn't, oh God, I can't believe I've got to do this. He just had fun burying the idea that anyone was taking it seriously. And if Ricky Starks is going to try and embody those um, comparisons, that's the route you should have taken. Like, if you're going to bury him, do it in this scathing, iconic, like, scorched-earth way. The Rock never once looked bored at the prospect of working someone, ever. I think, to use The Rock as a further comparison piece here, another problem with this is not just on Starks, or Juice, for that matter, 
Is that like, this is a fake Rolex watch of a story to stop trying to sell it like it's a real one. It doesn't do the match this week. It's frigging Ricky Starks versus Juice Robinson. We've had two weeks of build, and frankly, that's two weeks more than it needs. Mm. This is a graphic, yeah. not a story. I'm more excited for Stokely versus Hook, for example. Well, yeah, and I'm not terribly excited for that, but like, it's just yeah. there are some matches in the world of AEW and the way that it opens itself up to wrestling that are just a Tuesday tweet rather than two weeks of story, and this is absolutely that. Mm. And it was time for the debut edition of QTV. Um, it's TMZ-esque um, with uh, the likes of Aaron Solo and Harley Cameron. And uh, Aaron Solo's seen breaking into Wardlow's car, smashing the window, taking the title, taking all of his gear. Um, and Marshall's like, well, he can't come. He can't be going anywhere right now because he's got a bloody passport. Um, and they make some allusions to... Batista, basically, he would make a good Spike TV champ. Ruthless aggression. Um, and Powerhouse Hobbs is going to have an open challenge on Rampage for the TNT title. The only part of this that I enjoyed was Powerhouse Hobbs saying, Welcome to Will's World, Wardlow, bitch. I hated that just as much as the rest of it, to be honest. What the hell's what, uh, Will Hobbs doing hanging out with these people? Like, It's that, impossible to I take f- seriously. found so much of this wrong. Like, Powerhouse Hobbs gets all the way to the title contention... And then apparently at the 11th hour, goes full Steve Austin. is like, I, I need to beat you, Wardlow. I need you more than anything that you can imagine. But I haven't got a Vincent Mann, so I'll go to QT Marshall instead. He gets there by being hard as nails and being just super committed and having loads of momentum and being powerhouse hobs, for Christ's yes. sake. And then this is the creative he gets out of it. And this is what we're supposed to buy. Remember that. We're supposed to buy that this was like... Powerhouse Hobbs' master plan or QT Marshall's master plan? Or QT like, went to him. I owe you one and I'm going to give you this one. It's like, what, so you didn't think you could do it on your own? So now I think less of you. This is the reason This is the reason you're giving me for booing you as a heel is that you deep down have a lack of self-belief that you have. I sit through these Book of Hobbs vignettes where A, I want to cheer you, but B, if I have to receive you as a heel, it's because you're just the meanest, toughest bastard in the world. And these are the reasons I'm being given to be you. Because that's what all this nonsense is. Strip the fluff away. And whatever key TV is, and whatever you thought of the presentation, you're left trying to work out the character motivations of people. And Powerhouse Hobbs' motivation is like, I will accept your offer of help, actually, in this stupid little world that I'm going to walk into. This mid, lower card, naff world. Because it's going to get me my belt. And you can't back out of that now. Remember Steve, when Steve Austin says, like, oh, I wish if I could have done one thing, it would have been to stun you. That doesn't get you out of trouble because you've shook hands with Vince. The yeah. first place you've given it doesn't just fix everything. Powerhouse Hobbs could wreck these guys next week, and it doesn't fix that he got into bed with them for two. Like I hated this. I really hated this, and I just I feel like they've badly fumbled what should have been a big moment, and the TNT title still it's still PMP for me. And like calling Wardlow Batista again doesn't get away from the problem that you've fumbled him too. Just because you're saying it out loud, it doesn't mean that like oh like I'll just forgive you then. Hide that problem and, and do and book him better. I feel like I'm potentially a hypocrite here because I do like the intricate, deft dovetailing booking elsewhere in AEW, right? The way that the Blackpool Combat Club's feud with the Dark Order, who's an, as, an associate of which is Hangman Page, just built that show-closing angle. That's what I want from AEW, this beautiful overlap, this elegant plotting. So often... This does not work in the mid-card. Keep it simple, stupid. You've got two brick shit houses in a horse fight, and that that should be it. 
That is the core appeal. Some things really should be kept simple. This is one of them. Um, I forget how big they are. I forget how hard they are. How can I do that when look at them? It's, it's a, abysmal, abysmal. I'll say one thing about QTV and the concept. I hate how good the car braking angle was and yeah. how mm. my very first thought was, oh, poor Wardlow. Yeah. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And that makes me think that there might be a kernel of something to this. QT Marshall in this segment, which was a bit invisible camera adjacent. Why are they why have they built a newsroom to yeah. do this? It's pathetic realistically. Um like I wish I didn't like the idea, the germ of that idea, because it was really good. And that makes me think, could this be good? And I feel like I'm huffing copium because no, it can't. This is chronically mid-card fair, and that might be fine. And the example I use, right, is if QT had aligned with someone who can't just get over and be amazing like Powerhouse Hobbs. Someone who's good, but needs a little bit of extra flavor for the TV presentation, like Tony Nese. If QT Marshall had concocted the scheme with Tony Nese to, like, you know, in a mini-feud, try and get the All-Atlantic title off Orange Cassidy, right? I'd think, you know what? It's chronically mid-card fair with a few decent lines, a few scathing lines. That's fine because I don't take Tony Nese seriously mm. without this, like, cunning plan. Powerhouse Hobbs does not need a cunning plan. Just keep it bloody simple. Something else I didn't like about this as well, which just has me reflecting on last week being all wrong, the booking of this being all wrong, right? We got Wardlow was not working as this TNT champion, and it was the thing they tried to, like, address on television. It was a feeling, it was a vibe, and there's nothing wrong in that because you can take somebody who's got lots of great raw materials and kind of start again with them. We were pitching heel turns. Nobody wants Wardlow to fail. It's no. just that you kind of felt that it was going a bit that way in that role. What's my least favourite thing about all of this is, let's say Powerhouse Hobbs beats Wardlow because Wardlow's not got a lot of momentum and Powerhouse Hobbs does, and he just beats him, and it's a cool Hoss fight, and Powerhouse Hobbs wins the day. Wardlow, in AEW, Powerhouse Hobbs goes on and has a TNT title run against whoever. And Wardlow, because characters don't just forget or disappear off the face of the earth, not all the time, like, he has to figure out what's gone wrong and he has to find himself and he has to kick ass in a bunch of different ways. This is a vehicle for, like, a rematch. AEW have thought about the big Powerhouse Hobbs title win as a way to do another Powerhouse Hobbs-Wardlow match, which is pretty WWE-brained. Because it's not just thinking of the one match with a conclusive end, and it's like, right, yeah, but how do we get to the one mm. getting a second go? I don't want a second go because you kind of soured me on the first one. I, I just like I don't care. There, what they're talking about is a match I don't want to watch, and like, there's a lot more of that because we said that about the Revolution card as well as a load of it turned out. It was like quite it was rematchy, and this is that. Then it was time for Orange Cassidy to defend the now-leveled-up AEW international title against Jeff Jarrett. Nice to see the Shockmaster in AEW. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Cassidy Mays entrance. Shout-out to Jose Palomares for reminding us about that as well. Uh, that's when Cassidy does the whole uh, rucksack, swapping the titles <laughs> gimmick uh, to officially make the levelling up a thing. Um, early on, we get all the stuff we were hoping for. Fargo strut from Jarrett. Cassidy doing the hands-in-the-pockets offense. Jarrett's owning it on the bad leg and then doing Orange Cassidy's little kicks. I think I'm time-traveling back a few years and going, you know what Jarrett's going to be doing in 2023? Just the shape of his arms when he was yeah. making his tights into pockets. And he, like, like one of them, sort of like, you know, like from an old Western movie where there's, like, a, a troupe of, like, cowgirl dancers. Yeah. When he was doing the kicks and he sort of wiggled his arms and elbows at the same time. 
Uh, so obviously, not only is is Jarrett out there, you got Sanjay Dot, you got Satnam Singh, uh, Jay Lethal conspicuous by his absence, but obviously that's due to the injury from last week. Um, Dot runs distraction that allows Jarrett to knock Cassidy to the floor, and they fight into the crowd to take us to a break. When we come back, um, Cassidy gets knocked down, and Satnam Singh just up you go like a piece of luggage or something. Uh, Jarrett continues to go after the leg. Goes for a figure four, sorry, fakes going for a figure four and decides, wait a second, we're in Canada. Goes and gets a sharpshooter, which Cassidy reverses into a sharpshooter of his own. <laughs> uh, I wasn't really paying attention at this point to the action, if I'm perfectly honest. There was a certain sign I was looking at here. Thank you, Travis. There's more thank yous to come on this show, but what a legend Travis is. He's done it before and he's done it again. Also, Two dynamites in a row for Travis. I've got to mention it earlier. The I know he's you know it's great, lovely seeing our signs and what have you. But the the Cargill one was amazing. The money that oh, he yeah. posed next to. Yeah. I think that's it now. I think he's just going to re- retire from wrestling. He took a victory lap on Pete, Twitter for that, and yeah. rightfully so. Um, so yeah, he, uh, Jarrett's in the in the sharpshooter. Uh, Sanjay Dutt's like pushing the rope slightly closer to him to help. Um, Jarrett puts a sleeper on Cassidy. Cassidy reverses. So Sanam Singh hangs him up on the top rope after Sanjay takes the referee again. This time Jarrett puts on the figure four. Cassidy's like doing the... For some reason now I always think of the, the Ric Flair. Oh, bloody hell. One, two. Wait a second. No. <laughs> Fine. Um, Cassidy fights out of it. It's a big slugfest. Uh, Cassidy gets sent into the referee. Sanjay Dutt slides the guitar into the ring. We know how this plays out. Uh, but referee Aubrey Edwards is there. and She pulls the guitar away. Not like her to grab the attention. Um, anyway, uh, Aubrey and Jarek get into it. Singh pulls the guitar away from Cassidy whilst all that's going on. Uh, so Cassidy does the old Eddie Guerrero. Oh, he hit me. Wait a second. That guitar's completely intact. Doesn't matter. Uh, Aubrey tosses out Dutt and uh, Sanjay. Uh, hits the satellite DDT on Jarrett. Uh, Cassidy kips up on one leg. Incredibly impressive, that. Um, Bryce Remsburg back. Um, near fall. Um, Jarrett distracts the referee. Here comes Jay Lethal to clock Orange Cassidy with the Golden Globe. One, two. Orange Cassidy kicks out. Uh, kicks out. Trent Barretta hits the ring to fight off Jay Lethal. And you think, right, fine. Jarrett goes to the stroke. I'm like, here we go. And then Cassidy avoids it, hits the orange punch. One, two, three. I feel terrible for saying this because Orange Cassidy's so over. Great baby face. I think this is a really bad bit of booking. Right. <laughs> I was heartbroken, but we'll move past that and try and get into the critical analysis instead. Um, this was a great match in a way that I didn't expect it to be a great match. I thought it was predominantly going to be limb work. I thought we were going to get Jeff Jarrett parried in Orange Cassidy and it would be a more simpler layout than what we had. But they went with the very Memphis bollocks on top of bollocks format, and it worked just as well, probably better. Mm. This crowd were unglued for some of this stuff. Jeff Jarrett is both the, well, he's the ironic fave to some. He's had a legitimately great AEW run where he's like won people over, and idiots like me that have liked him as a shoot all along are just feeling validated by this great run, right? where he's like, he's both credible and a complete clown at the same time. He's balancing those skills because he's just a pro. And then you get a match like this where it kind of celebrates all of Jeff Jarrett. It was kind of a Jeff Jarrett greatest hit show, this, because he showed that he could be like still kicking it with the young kids, doing the Orange Cassidy stuff, doing doing your proper stuff that you need to be a TV wrestler now. But then there's the Memphis bollocks and there's the run-ins and there's the guitar and there's everything. And then he loses. I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, I've realized, if I criticize the booking because, I, and I know they're different, right? But... 
I believe that for the bigger picture, Sami Zayn had to lose, despite how hot people felt for the title change in mm, Elimination yeah. Chamber. And maybe this was just an excellent way to book a TV match rather than Jeff Jarrett's big moment. Maybe it was just, well, there's nothing wrong in making a title match feel huge, even if the champion's going to retain. The champion can't lose all the time. They have to retain and they have to build their build apart. As a Jeff Jarrett fan, I kind of fear this is the peak. It like, should be. Of how much, well, you see... He's in a bit of a feud with... I said that three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and three a, months ago. He's in a bit of a feud with Aubrey Edwards and AEW at large about getting screwed out of titles. Tag belts, international title. If you're Jeff, you're going to... T- I love this silly stuff. Like I should, We should probably do one with them, Jeff, just to pay this off. Pay this off, night of the show. I mean, what are we thinking, guys? Like, there, but you know, like, in his mind, maybe he's thinking, like, how far can I take this? Because there is some thread here about, like, Jeff Jarrett, the worst guy... Now feeling like the wronged party when all he's done he is... He was cheating. Yeah, but like, but he will feel cheated again and all he does is cheat, right? So like, he might want to take this further. As a one-night spectacle, it was kind of fantastic and you only need to watch and listen to see that play out. We all talked about there was a run in this and maybe there was and maybe that's been lost. But I'm going to be kind of the book. You, you just love Jeff Jarrett. I love him so much. This is so good for what it was and yeah. what it needed to be. I got swept up in Jarrett mania. <laughs> I, I was genuinely disappointed there wasn't a title switch here. I got swept up in Metamania, Jarrett mania. This was the correct result realistically, mm-hmm. and it was incredible because how many goddamn times have we sat down and said, you know what, great match on paper, who's going to win? The <laughs> AW Dynamite, I'm fairly certain. The Star's going to beat the up-and-coming rookie or, you know, whatever, the international import or the solid hand, whatever. This is what you wanted from Dynamite all along. Yeah. They gave you to it. They convinced you and all of Winnipeg, oh, God, that's it. And either enjoyed it ironically, you enjoyed it earnestly, or you were like, oh, no, not Jeff Jarrett. Taking the piss too far. They just measured this to absolute perfection. They took a series of artless tropes just this ancient Memphis heat, and they made them all artful by really building this one over the long term. The idea that he's going to get his carny claws in, he's going to do it. This is what Jeff Jarrett always does. Jeff Jarrett will always get a mid-card title. He'll always sign an overseas agreement with some TV, like some wrestling promotion. You'll get in Bullet Club. This is what he does. <laughs> he will do that. He will do that. He will do that. He will do that. So not only did they, to utter perfection, make that the fiction in AEW, incredible book in this. Genuinely fantastic. People were so stressed when he debuted. Yes. Yeah. Stressed. And they've manipulated those stress levels to a, quite frankly, genius degree. And they've built it and built it and built it. Orange Cassidy's legs hanging off. The Memphis heat is just bang, 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 bang. All of these things you think he's done for. Jeff Jarrett is going to be the world champion. (laughs) And then the the hero wins because the hero should win this particular kind of story. Because if the hero doesn't win this particular kind of story, you think, oh, it's going to just be WCW in 2000 or Impact in 2004 or five when he was at his worst. I thought this was perfect because the level of drama here was so great because if he's not, if Orange Cassidy isn't losing cleanly, and he might because look how great he's selling, then the chicanery is going to get him in the end. There's no way out. There is no way out. And he found a way because he's Orange Cassidy. This was TV episodic booking over the long haul for this specific audience 
genuinely so impressive. I would love Orange Cassidy now to have leg law. I would love the very, very nasty manipulative heel to beat him with a leg submission because he's kept going. It's coming. It's like yeah. It's coming. Who's going to be so hard wearing and potentially, but then maybe they're on the out. Would you reward Miro? I know it's not very babyface like, but Adam Cole winning a title on his first night back as a lead into AW All Access. Is that next week? Two weeks. 29th. 29th? Yeah. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that. Me neither. I just, I'm trying to think of big names. Yeah. There should be somebody that can really benefit. Matt Hardy? What's next on the show, mate? There's an acclaimed music video, and then uh, out comes the outcast, who's a segue. Oh, there's their homegrown talent, and... Uh, uh. Soraya, uh, <laughs> that's what Excalibur said. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Storm come out. Shut your mouths. Uh, Ruby's going to tell us a story. Once upon a time, the grass was greener here until a few dogs <laughs> came along and pissed all over that grass. So uh, are they the. I was going to ask the exact same question. Who's the bitches? Who's the bitches? Because they came after. Very literally, where are the bitches at? Because I couldn't decide if they were calling themselves it or it, they were referring to the baby faces. They're not here because you've been scaring the hoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what do you do with bitches that aren't housebroken? And Soraya says, you show these bitches that AW is their house. Uh, so who's the bitches? <laughs> I'm still asking the question. Uh, should we kiss on the ground that they walk on? Without them, there wouldn't be a division. Uh, she's a mir- She says she's a miracle. Doesn't expect anything less. And then she calls them. I've got the second half of this. Was it like neck bearded, smelly twats? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry for our American listeners. Twats. twats. Uh, Tony Storm. I'll put my cack in your twat. <laughs> Vowel, the vowels are wrong, but it's funny, so. I like Tony Storm. Me and Andy like Tony Storms. Listen up, fetos. <laughs> uh, when I became a champion. Oh, sorry. When I became an interim champion, I wore it with a smile and none of, none of you bloody appreciated it. Uh, and yet the current champ cheated to win it, and you all bloody loved it. Um, I've realized you don't know what you want, so we're here to give you what you need. We are the outcasts. We're not going anywhere. They're having too much fun uh, going through entitled rookies like Sky Blue, Willow Nightingale, Riho. Uh, and they bring up Britt Baker and um, Jamie Hayter. And, of course, this brings them out. They run down to attack in... What was the phrase? Canadian... The Canadian tuxedo, the Thank double you. denim. Yes. There's a lovely picture of uh, Brett and Owen sporting them as well, which you can find online. And they, uh, Hater and Baker, despite the numbers disadvantage, beat them all down. Uh, Britman removes her Gucci belt with the spray paint on from the previous attacks, but suddenly uh, the outcasts fire back up. Uh, Ruby hits a destination unknown to Brit, Storm Zero to Hater, but just as it, like, it looks like they're going to do their usual shenanigans, here comes Sky Blue, Willow Nightingale, and Riho with... Did they say bat? Or I misremembered this, because I remember going, that doesn't look like a bat it's to a me. Pipe, it was a pipe, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, three girls come down and protect Jamie and Britt, um, and, there's, and there's the outcasts get out there, and there's a, there's a little moment between the likes of, of Riho and Jamie, and some words are exchanged. Britt's watching on. Thoughts? Mostly good. Um, the promo was funny. It was like, it felt, it was almost a bit of a diversion in how, like, how wacky the comedy was. Because it was funny and you were led to like have a good laugh at it, but it did take away from the seriousness of this theoretical invasion storyline they're trying to do. I love wrestlers that have fought and then respect each other. I th- I, the, the more the years go on in AEW, tell proper stories again, the more I realise it might be my favourite thing in all of wrestling. And little looks and little knowing glances of like, yeah, we've shed blood and sweat and tears, but now we're coming together for a greater cause. Love that stuff. And Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter 
with Riho especially is that nice kind of right yeah we've kicked each other's aces but enough's enough there's a bigger prize at play here and I love the idea of the I know it's not going to happen but the five on three dynamic causing for uh, Nikki and Brie Garcia to come in <laughs> to, uh, to even the sides up for blood and guts because that's bananas um, so I, like yeah I didn't mind this it wasn't as strong as Ruby's kind of tying it all together last week but it was it was decent I think the story's back on track it dropped off for me after last week all of this they are making a saga out of this. This is going to go over the long haul for months. And yes, I understand, right, that there would be a natural divide in a locker room. And this has all sprouted because there is, you know, a mentality of the people who were there and built it resent the ex-WWE imports for just coming in and feeling, feeling entitled to it. There is a element of all of this that is threaded in reality. So why don't I feel like it's real? You know what I mean? I don't know if it's the performances um, or what, but it feels like a realistic, credible storyline based on reality that doesn't just go into the worst kind of shoot stuff, work shoot stuff. And yeah, I just don't really believe in it or care. Um, it's the, some of it, smelly twats, yeah, quite funny. And you believe that Soraya thinks that about a certain section of the audience because awful people have treated her awfully, um, but it doesn't feel like the championship matters. Mm. It's no longer the main point of the division. And I don't feel like these two warring squadrons hate each other. It feels like they're playing to the gallery of, yeah, what Soraya said about you. She said you got a neck beard and that you smell. Boo her. Get behind them. Playing to the gallery stuff, and I don't believe in it as anything other than a way to get you to cheer. Yeah, the bakers and this and the haters. I thought the most the comment that got the most heat with me was well, that was there wouldn't have been a revolution, and I was like, if you're talking about the AW revolution, we didn't need it. Like, well, what you claim claim to come in and be like, look at all these girls, and the moment we were like, what are you doing? You're you're meant to be a baby face yeah. here. So I thought that was quite a nice touch. Yeah, I, I, it just. I'm with Cedric to the point about the title, especially. But I see again. I, I know I mention this every week now, but like Britt Baker turned on Jamie Hater is the emotional core of this. I think whether it's a blood and guts finale and that like you're left with real shock as the heels get the big win. However, from there, I'm going to care way more about Britt Baker versus Jamie Hater than I'm about the Outcast versus the Homegrowns. That's where the story will start to matter again. So they kind of they've almost booked themselves into a corner because this will feel secondary if and when Britt turns. That's the thing that matters more. I am trying not to be a microwave baby, which I think is an exceptional phrase. Britt Baker used it on Twitter or in a media interview that I saw um, transcribed on Twitter. I'm just not that into it. And I rarely have been. I know we've got the numbers disadvantage and supposedly we should probably fear more, but you could say we fear less. You can look that. Uh, the LTST with the Bellas and Ruby. Oh, lovely. We've had some wars before. So now we're going to fight again. <laughs> cool hand, Ange, and Daddy Magic. Uh, they saw, I, I like the way they did this. They were like, we're going to put you backstage filming this because you're going to get too much of a nice reaction being yeah. Canadian. So yeah, just turn the, turn the <laughs> crowd volume down, especially when you talk about how hard your nipples get. And they're like, what a bloody great music video that was earlier on. It's bloody entertaining that, you know. Uh, anyway, watch. You and daddy ass watch Rampage. Get a taste. This is this 
This is what these lads should be doing. Love them. Uh, and we'll talk about more on the Rampage preview, of course. Um, Excalibur does his menu of all the shows coming up. And Ray Phoenix, in advance of the open challenge from Powerhouse Hobbs on Rampage, called... Calls his shot. What's that look like? Awesome. Like, why does QTV exist? Because you could just have Powerhouse Ops versus Rear Phoenix on who's the best. Like, rather than Powerhouse Ops coming out with his goons and, like, running interference and stuff. That's a cool match, because mm. Hobbs is a cool in wrestler. He's very much the fixtures guy, Hobbs. Yeah. You don't need to do ridiculous, intricate storytelling with Powerhouse Hobbs. You just don't. Gotta get my TV time, Tony. QT, if you're in the South. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where he's from. Q-Telly. <laughs> <laughs> then it was time for the main event, the Triple Threat Trios title tussle. It's a uh, three-way, so it doesn't ugh. work. Oh, yeah. Forgot triple Threat that. is a WWE thing. Sorry. Trademark, even. House of Black, Elite. Trademark, Triple Threat. Yes. Um, I'm not going to... I'll miss some spots in this. Go and watch it and come back and then listen to the podcast because I'll miss, <laughs> I'll miss something that someone will have liked here. Um, Guevara and Garcia just get chucked around basically by King to stop us. Uh, Jericho and Malachi Black come in. Uh, Malachi, they're circling. Omega just snatches the tag from uh, from Malachi. And everyone's like, here we go, Jericho and Omega. Before that can happen, though, in comes the House of Black and it all breaks down as we go to a break. When we come back, Jericho tries to have a chop battle with Brody King. And, well, you can probably guess how, how that went. Um, Jericho trades sort of finisher, finisher attempts with Malachi, connects with a double arm underhook backbreaker to give the JS a chance, and then JS do the whole trio pose. Um, Black manages to fight off Garcia and Guevara, uh, but he gets overwhelmed, falls backwards. Nick Jackson comes in, slingshot face buster. He tries to do the, the combo thing of that with the moonsault out onto Buddy Matthews, who catches him, and you think, oh, okay, he's just going to lawn dot him. Lawn dot him into a knee. From uh, from Malachi Black, I believe. They've blown that. There's a couple of them in this, isn't there? We always said that was going to be possible. There's a lot going on here. Uh, Omega Hot Tag. Polish hammers for everyone. And Snapdragon's left, right, and center. Um, he hits the You Can't Escape on Matthews. Snap Hurricane Rana. Uh, rolls, uh, Matthews rolls right into a Jericho tag. Uh, the House of Blick uh, try to stop the face off again, but they get sent to the outside. And we finally get the Jericho and Omega showdown. Big slugfest. Um, uh, Omega eventually hits a Snapdragon on Matthews, goes for the V-Trigger, but gets cut off into a walls of Jericho. The Bucks break it up with a big super kick party, and that gets stopped by King taking their heads off to take us to another break. When we come back, uh, Jericho and Omega rise back up, swinging for the fences. Um, Omega dodges the corner springboard drop kick, hits a big Terminator dive that really got the crowd going. Bucks take out the House of Black with big dives as well. Garcia and Guevara cut off the Bucks, though, as Garcia hits a huge superplex on Nick, and Guevara hits a Spanish fly on Matt. Uh, Brody King teases a dive off the top, but Omega and Jericho team up to double superplex him off there instead. Uh, and Jericho responds by immediately code-breakering Omega for a two-count. Uh, we randomly cut backstage, not random, obviously, in the end, to see the Blackpool Combat Club and the Dark Order brawling in again. And I was like, that's a bit weird. The show's nearly finished. But anyway, um, 
I was just like, oh, I assume that's just going to be followed up. Like we, last week, we could barely keep him apart the whole bloody show. But, uh, let it play out, Adam, you yeah. idiot. Uh, Omega uh, gets his knees up on a lion salt. Uh, Matt hits Garcia with a locomotion, Northern Lights, and Guevara. Um, Books go for a Meltzer driver, but Jericho hits Nick with a code breaker as he goes for it. Uh, as a picture-perfect shooting star press by Guevara onto Matt. Awesome. King breaks that up, squashes Garcia and Guevara with corner cannonballs, uh, and he just chucks Guevara over to Jericho and goes, come on, in you come. Uh, Jericho comes in, tries to fight him off, but gets hit with Dante's Inferno. Omega breaks that up. Jericho hits King uh, with a bat shot whilst Aubrey wasn't looking. Um, Guevara, wipe out the, Guevara wipes out the elite with a shooting star to the floor, but King kicks out at two. Uh, Jericho sets up for the Judas effect, but a, a roundhouse kick by Black uh, fell into the Garcia tag, and he had a Dante's Inferno for the one, two, three. Post-match, here comes Jake Hager. He gets beaten down by the House of Black, and then that brawl that I mentioned earlier between the Blackpool Combat Club and Dark Order come down. Silver and Reynolds uh, were the ones involved in it, by the way, because Stu had gone to hospital with Evil Uno. Um, Hangman Page finds himself in the ring alone against Moxley, Claudio and Utah, when who should save him? Who should back him up but the elite? The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega rise up. Hangman Page doesn't see this. The crowd are losing their minds. The Blackpool Combat Club retreats, and the show goes off the air just as Hangman Page is turning around to realize what's happened. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. That's out of the way. <laughs> this match wasn't quite as good as it was in my head. I will say that first and foremost. I think what happened is that um, there was a sequence that was so unbelievably complex and exciting that led towards the second commercial break that was so good and so breathless that I could sort of justify the long sell during the commercial. But I think it was so good that I never reached that peak again. And there was a few blown spots. This was a very ambitious undertaking where not everything looked great. And I just, in a way that I can't articulate better than this, I just didn't get that heady rush of, oh my God, I can't believe how amazing this is. I just didn't really get that, even though I thought the match was otherwise like very, 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 very good. Um, I'll tell you one thing. Looking at this match in Revolution... Kenny Omega is better at booking big men than Vince McMahon has been for like 22 years. <laughs> the way that they treat with reverence, like Brody King, mm. Kenny Omega's a genius at this. Like I want to see a Kenny Omega booked wrestling promotion. I think it would be absolutely phenomenal. They got, the Winnipeg crowd in the match itself got the best of both worlds. They were told, are you going to get Jericho versus Omega or Jericho and Omega versus? They'd be hot for either prospect and they've done this match brilliantly. Like, that's the thing I admired, the construction of it and the ideas more than I felt the excitement. Like, that was so genius. Like Chris Jericho gave me the willies, gave me the creeps. <laughs> a few months ago, he was talking to some outlet or other, and he's like, you know, who knows, maybe me and Kenny might team in Winnipeg. I was like, what? <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I was in favor, realistically, of doing a separate Jericho and a separate Omega thing on the show to just get the volume all the way up, but whatever. I wanted it so separate that Jericho was on Rampage. And they uh, teamed up in such a way that it felt like an intra-match. We have to do this, otherwise we're f***ing. Look at how big Brody King is. And it was just a nice thing for the Winnipeg crowd as well. So I thought that was all handled brilliantly. 
Brody King was the thing that made them have to team and how much did that get him over? Mm. All very, very well thought out. And just on the post-match, man, it spoke to my everything about AEW. There's a lot of uh, debate about what the true white-hot peak of this promotion was. Was it the build of full gear 2019? Was it the comeback that drove the seminal build to revolution? Was it the white-hot summer of 2021 when fans returned and every episode was an incandescent party? Or was it CM Punk's back after seven years, he's building to revolution 2022, and the the pipe dream, seven years in the making, not only has it been realized, he's back, but it's better than he could have ever conceived. Those are the four big ones. 75% of the time, the Elite were at the narrative epicenter of that promotion. And this, in two ways, folded in what I just think is the best thing about this company. The elegant plotting of the uh, the BCC and the Dark Order and the Hangman Page and how it brought everything together was like the full gear 2019 build. And like these unbelievably intricate, layered, well-plotted brawls and show-closing angles not quite as good as that, but almost. That fused with the every single player in this elite saga has got this incredibly justifiable motivation and your sort of emotional response is just ping-ponging all over the place. and You are just not only incredibly invested, torn, conflicted, but they're telling the story through this unbelievable state-of-the-art action. And they did the mirror of the Revolution 2020 post-match when... Page is just ostracized from the group because then he didn't feel elite. This time, subverted. He's elite, he's won the title, but there's still that personal connection that's missing um, because the events of Full Gear 2021 haven't been really resolved within the core elite trio, much less between Page and Omega. And Omega's thinking, beat me, don't want any part of him. And I'm still, I hate him a little bit and I resent him for it. They're going to come together. How? That's what this cliffhanger was, and I could not be more jazzed. Having been this excited about the future of AEW from watching this than I have since, I don't know. I don't know how long, but this is what I'm all about. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. I like made the point when we talked about this in the office this morning. This made me realize how rare it is in wrestling now to get a cliffhanger as opposed to the days of the Monday Night Wars when you got one all the time because mm. it was imperative that you tuned in and there wasn't just another show a few days later or the internet or whatever it was. Um, I love that feeling of the story not being finished, but the graphic coming up and it, like that. Oh, no, the freaking copyright. I need yeah. five more minutes of this. Like WWE, and it's not always a bad thing, but like you normally get the end of the beatdown or the babyface's triumph and it's see you next week, but it's not that like... This wasn't even a racing off the air thing. It was just, oh. What's going on here? And then it just goes, you know. It was Even a, if it was a timing snafu, it was a great one. No, I don't think it was. Yeah, th- this is what I mean. I didn't feel like, oh my God, we're out of time. Or oh, AEW would not get the timings again. This was this felt exactly right. Page turning round as it fades out. Jesus Christ. That's exactly what you want, I think. Like, uh, And I'm like, I didn't do this. And I feel like I will, after we finish recording, race to Twitter to see the phone footage of what actually happened. It, it's going to be Hangman Page sliding out the ring, obviously. But like, I want to watch that nonetheless. I also love... As a count, not as a counter, but as the the opposition here to this elite saga playing out in the point Sidrick's made of like three of the four eras of AW at its best feature in the elite. John Moxley remains the perfect guy on the other side of that because he can realistically say, "Do you know what I had every time you were doing your piss baby BS was by myself? 
I had like I was just fighting to be John Moxley. I've got my own mates now. Like there's never been a better time for John Moxley to be opposed to that. When the that classic dynamite main event, that first main event where like 60 million angles born off the back of it, including John Moxley dragging Kenny Omega away from it all to DD team through a table. That whole thing is John Moxley's fighting for John Moxley. You've got a stable foreman, you've got one that already exists, you've got multiple permutations. John Moxley is existing for him. When he loses the title, why does he do it? If Kenny Omega and Don Callis are in a conspiracy, why can't he win it back? Because then they drag the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers into it. It's constantly John Moxley and sometimes Eddie Kingston versus the world. When he loses to MJF, it's because he's got William Regal in the pocket. Now, things are different. And he's had to do it as a baddie, which is unique and is a nice spin in it. But as you're setting up the elite to come back together... You are also setting up kind of the perfect opponent in John Moxley mm. plus others. And it's not just, I've got to find friends. It's, things are different now. I'm kind of sick of all this. And it's spinning off the Hangman Page singles feud is fantastic. That's, that's power is back. So from AEW. Because the spin off from this singles feud that felt nothing to do with this. While you've had Hangman Page being like, yeah, the Moxley thing's over. I'm going to, speaking to Renee, I'm going to bend some fences. And then the fence mending goes away a bit because we're having a hard call, like we're having this brutal <laughs> match at a pay-per-view to get to there. That's the really, really good stuff. And like, now I feel bad ending it on a bit of a downer because I kind of agree with Sidgwick. The magic wasn't quite there in the match for me. My favourite moment of the whole match was a Kenny Omega. It wasn't even a spot. It was a Kenny Omega moment. And that's why I'm feeling jazzed about Kenny Omega was when he just like tapped Chris Jericho to get up and help him. Like that was like this sort of the laid bear. The, Win- the Winnipeg boys are back again. They're going to have to beat a Brody King because... What did uh, Bill Watts say? Uh, Bill Watts once told me that you can make a lot of money with an athletic big man. And this spot was how you did it. It was like Kenny Mager and Kenny Mager, by the way, in his Winnipeg hockey team tights. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. White plus his team colors. Are you f***ing kidding me? Like, just, oh, my God. Um, right, this hitting all the ways it needed to, even if the match didn't. And on that... Um, House of Black remained perfect trios champions because the building kind of went flat for the win, but it was because they were so invested in the storytellers. Next week, House of Black are going to have, on not next week, but whenever, they're going to have like a ripper of a trios match and it's not going to matter that the storytellers are the Winnipeg kids because it's the match is going to, like that spot where Brody King does it in, like does the cannonball while one man member kicks the other guy's head. Yes. Like that's a money spot, but it's just happening to people that the fans don't want it to happen to. This was, I believe, an aberration for the reactions to House of Black because the revolution, they look like demigods. Yeah. They're like every week, it's like House of Black with those belts is going to, feel huge on the night and then you're going to forget about it till seven days later right well let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE well actually you can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick don't forget to read his brilliant ups and downs article at what.culture.com as well. Hopefully, it should be working by now. Uh, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, the AW Rampage preview with myself and Sidge coming your way tomorrow. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.